All right, we're going to be finishing up our sermon series this morning called Troubled Waters. You should have received your, your note sheet inside your uh, bulletin today. And uh, we've been looking at this. It's kind of a, a marriage slash relationship seminar uh, or series that it will help us strengthen not only our marriages, but, but any relationship that we have. You see, God didn't just create marriage and then set us free to, to figure it all out on our own. He created marriage and he gave us a lot of instructions on how to have the very, very best marriages that we can possibly have. He helped us, he, he gave us marriage as, as a, to become a picture of our relationship with him and our relationship with the church. But there's some problems with our, with our, our relationships. There's some problems mainly with our relationship with him because some things happened um, in the Bible that, that, that separated us from God. We do things in our lives that separate us from God. And so this morning I want to talk about how do we get back on the boat? And we're going to look a little bit into the story of, of the ark. That's where we started this series. We started looking at Noah and the ark. And we're going to look back at the ark. And we're going to pull a few things out and see how they parallel to today. And what things we can learn from that. And where we can go with that information for today. First thing we see on our sheets is, is we're going to look at is We're going to look at man's problem. Man's problem. You see, we have a problem in this world. We had a problem then. We have a problem now. That problem then, we find in Genesis 6, 5, it says, And God saw that the wickedness of man was great in the earth, and that every imagination of the thoughts of his heart was only evil continually. So we see there was a problem then. That problem was sinfulness. Sinfulness. So then we had a problem with sinfulness. God looked at the world. He created this world. By the way, he created the world perfectly. And then man allowed sin to come in. It cast us away from God's presence. Adam and Eve were cast out of God's presence. And they, they went to and started their families and, and, and began to live and to grow and, and to do the things that they were told to do. But they also brought that sin with them. And each generation and each person sinned more and more and more. And we find ourselves in Genesis chapter number 6 at the time of Noah. And God looks down and, and he, he sees the sinfulness of man. He saw the wickedness was great in the earth. Now think how how. We're not really that far away from the very beginning. And yet God, we've already gotten to the point where God is just done with us. The wickedness. So now today we have a problem. Romans 3.23 says, for all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. The problem then was sinfulness. The problem now, sinfulness. See, things haven't really changed that much since the day of Noah. And we look for those parallel between then and Noah. We look for specific sins that are parallel, but it's not necessarily specific sins, although there are many. It's just the fact that we are a sinful person, people. This world is sinful. It's why everything dies in this world. Everything is corrupt in this world. If you buy a new car, it's not new for very long, is it? Particularly if you park it in the parking lot at Walmart. It doesn't stay new very long. You know, you ever had a new car, you get in the car and you smell that new car scent? Those are toxic chemicals, by the way, but we won't get into that. But you smell that new car scent. We all know what it smells like, right? You get in there like, ah, new car. They actually, they actually make air fresheners now that smell like that new car. I don't know if it's the same toxic chemicals or not, but it smells like that. So when you get in the car, you think, new car. But it's not new very long. You know, the new baby. Everybody loves the new baby, right? You know, the little tiny new babies. And they don't stay new, though, do they? Everybody except Dean. Yeah, we all like the new babies, but then what happens? They turn into teenagers. 
How did that happen? See, sinfulness always leads to destruction. Sinfulness. It doesn't matter. We like to grade sins, you know, big sins, little sins. It doesn't really matter, big sin, little sin. Sinfulness leads to destruction. Genesis 6, 7, this is back in that day. It says, and the Lord said, I will destroy man whom I have created from the face of the earth, both man and beast and the creeping thing and the fowls of the air, for it repented me that I have made them. People say, well, wait a minute, animals don't sin. What we fail to see sometimes is the sinfulness of man, it has contaminated all of creation. That's why even, even the cars rust. Your car is not a sinful thing. But because of the sinful, sinfulness of man, it rusts, it breaks down, it wears out. That's because of sin. Everything in this world, the death that we see is because of sin. Romans 6.23 says, the wages of sin is death. Death. You see, even today, sinfulness still brings destruction. People are running around scared to death of the coronavirus. I personally believe it's a lot of media hype, but even if it's not just media hype, you know what? Our God's still bigger than the coronavirus. Our God is bigger than any virus that's ever been on this earth and any virus that ever will be on this earth. And I'll take faith in him. I'll take trust in him. I'm not saying I'm not wise. I, I wash my hands. I have, I have hand sanitizers I haven't even used yet that I'm going to use right now. Because some of you people are a little sketchy. And we should do things. We should be wise about this. God gave us wisdom. He gave us medicines. He gave us these things so, so we can be wise about it. And, and, you know, I just think it's startling to me that we had to get a, a coronavirus for people to start washing their hands. Why weren't you people washing your hands? I don't understand. Probably. Somebody's. Yeah, he went over to China and started it. So, the sinfulness always leads to destruction. And here it tells us the wages of sin is death. That's a, that should be a startling verse for you because the book of Romans was written specifically to, to the Gentiles. That, that's us. It was written to us and it's telling us that the wages of sin is death. That should startle you. Because if we went around the room, I don't think any of us would have to, to think back very long till we sin. Maybe this morning. You may have had sinful thoughts since you got here. Maybe it was last night when your neighbor is blaring music and you're just thinking about how easy it would be to snap their neck. Maybe, maybe it was something like that, just hypothetically. Completely hypothetically. I hope my neighbor's not here. No, of course not. They're sleeping right now. We got up this morning and says, V says, you know, it's too bad it's Sunday or you could go mow the lawn right by their house. I'm like, I'd get the chainsaw out too and just let it run and just set it over there. I'll mow over here and let the chainsaw run over there. Go to the store, get an air horn or something. I don't know. But I'm at church so they get to sleep. But sinfulness always leads to destruction. That The wages of sin is death. It doesn't say the wages of big sin is death. It doesn't say the wages of murder is death. It says the wages of sin is death. You know what that means? That means any sin. And that starts when we're very, very small. And it doesn't leave us. Hopefully we get better as we become Christians and we have the power of the Holy Spirit inside of us. Hopefully we get better at not sinning, but we never become totally sin-free on this world because we still have that old nature inside of us. Now, that old nature desires that destruction. 
See, man had a problem, but God has a solution. Any problem that you're facing today, God has a solution. And he's put it inside of his word for you. He's given it already. It's not something we have to, to think up and create and look for something new. He's already given us his solution. And the biggest problem that we've got is sin. The biggest destruction we have in our lives is sin. The cause of all of our problems in our life is sin. And God's got a, a solution. His solution then is found in Genesis 6.14. It says, Make thee an ark of gopher wood. Room shalt thou make in the ark, and, and shall pitch it within and, with, and without with pitch. Then his solution was the ark. He had a solution. His solution was the ark. And it, this, you know, if you've read the story, you've studied it, it, this is really kind of a bizarre thing he's asking Noah to do. Because nobody built anything like this before. At least not to that magnitude. Nobody built anything like that. He's telling Noah it's going to rain. You know, if we look at the word of God, it never rained on the earth. It's not the way things happened back then. A mist would come up and water the plants. There had never been any rain. And so he's going to Noah and he's telling Noah, Noah, it's going to rain. Noah's probably like, I don't even know what that means. I'm sure there's more conversation we have here. He gave him wisdom to understand what rain was. But if nothing else, he understood the fact that it was going to flood. Everything was going to die. And so he starts building this, this ark. He had a plan. God had a plan, and it was the ark. Now he has another plan. Because the ark was actually a picture of the plan that we have today. And Romans 10.9 says that if thou shalt confess with thy mouth the Lord Jesus, and shalt believe in thine heart that God hath raised him from the dead, thou shalt be saved. You see, in the Old Testament, what saved them from the flood was the ark. Today, what saves us from our sin is Jesus Christ, the Christ. We had the ark, and now we have the Christ. The ark, by the way, if you study it, was a picture of Jesus Christ. More the, the salvation of Jesus Christ, but there's a lot of parallels there we don't have time to completely get into. But today we have the Christ. There's nothing else. In, in Noah's time, there was no other way to be saved from the flood other than getting in the ark. That was it. There wasn't any, I know they, they did a movie, a Noah the movie or something, and Lot survived the storm, who wasn't alive. At the, but anyways, we only get into all the timeline mess up right there, but Lot survived because he was a pirate. It's like, what? That was, that was, I don't know who put that movie out, if it was Disney or Pixar, who put that out, but it was like, fortunately, it just completely fell apart and bombed at the, at the box office because it was just so bizarre. But the reality of it is the only way to be saved from the flood was to get on the ark. The animals, they all died, except the ones that got on the ark. You had to be on the ark. Those were the ones that lived. Today, we have Christ. We have the Christ. We have Jesus Christ. And he is the only way that we can be saved from the sinfulness of this world. The only way we can be saved from our sinfulness. There is no other way. There is no, no pirate secret that we can get around. There is no other way to be saved except through Jesus Christ. And he tells us in Romans 10, 9, that if thou shalt confess with thy mouth and believe in thine heart, that's what we have to do. Confess and believe. I want you to see something else about this solution. The solution always requires acceptance. 
the solution always requires acceptance. Once you see something in Genesis 7, 13, it says, In the selfsame day entered Noah and Shem and Ham and Japheth, the sons of Noah and Noah's wife and the three wives of his sons with them into the ark. You know what it doesn't say? It doesn't say God put them in the ark, does it? They went into the ark. They went in. See, then what did they have to do? They had to get on the boat. They had to get on the boat or get in the boat, however you want to write that down. That's what they had to do then. They had to get in the boat. That was their only choice. That was their only solution, was to get on the boat. There was no other way. They couldn't build a raft and ride it out. They couldn't get to the tallest mountain because the tallest mountain was covered with water. There was no other way that they could do it. Some people say, well, I would just float. I'd just swim. Have you ever been out on the ocean? And seeing what it's like, it's, it, it's, it can be terrifying. You know, when you're on a, even if you're on a big, big boat or a big ship, a cruise ship or something, and, and you see the waves coming up, you know, watch some of the video. You want to be terrified? Just watch some of the videos on YouTube where the water's coming up higher than the windows of the staterooms. It's like, what? We have friends today that they posted some videos from last week. They were coming back from Hawaii. And they were in rough seas for a couple days. And it's just dark and gloomy and wavy. And it's just, it's terrifying. And now they're stuck on that boat. They're on that boat that's in the news that's over there in San Francisco. They're still on that boat. They haven't tested positive. I don't even know if they've been tested, to be honest with you. But they, have, they haven't tested positive. But they, they're waiting. See, then they had to get on the boat. Because being in the ocean without the, the protection of the boat, it's not possible to survive. Now we have a different solution. Now we have Jesus Christ. Turn with me to Romans chapter 10, verse 13. Hopefully you guys are keeping up. That's, that's why I put the verses there in, the, in, in your, your notes, not, so that, um, not just so that you can look them up later, but so that you can kind of follow ahead and, and we don't have to wait for everybody to turn everywhere every single time. So you kind of know what verse is coming up. But I want you, if you haven't turned to any other ones, I want you to turn to Romans chapter 10, verse number 13. When you get there, say amen. amen. Oh, I'm on the wrong page. Very simply, it says, For whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. You see, then we needed to get on the boat. Now we need to accept Jesus Christ. Now we need to accept Jesus Christ. I love that verse because just like that first verse we looked at where it was talking about sin, and you know, all have sinned. You know, we, we talk about that verse a lot, right? And it, it's all inclusive. This is an all inclusive verse. It's a whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord. Not just certain people, not just a certain race of people. You know, back when this was written, this was written to the Gentiles, but there was a belief back that, that day that, that Jesus Christ was only for the Jews. This was earth-shattering. Now that, now that they're talking to the Romans, they're talking to the Gentiles, and they're not saying the Jews, they're saying whosoever. And the Jews are like, that means me. You're right. The Gentiles were saying, that means me. You're right. 
You may be sitting here today saying, that means me. And you're right. Whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. doesn't matter how tall, how short, how skinny, how fat, how much money you have, what color your skin is. doesn't matter what your education level is. Matter of fact, sometimes too much education can actually hinders a person from accepting Christ because they've, they've given up on faith and they've relied upon themselves. That's why Jesus says, suffer the little children to come to me. They don't have all the preconceived notions and all the worldly input pushed into their brains yet. And it's easy for children to accept. We have to accept Jesus Christ. I love that. For whosoever. Whosoever shall what? Whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord. Not just whosoever wants to be saved. Not just whosoever does good deeds. Not just whosoever gets baptized or whosoever goes to church or whosoever does all these different things. Whosoever turns over a new leaf. Whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord. When we call upon the name of the Lord, it actually involves two things. It involves repentance and acceptance. When we repent, is is kind of like a New Year's Eve kind of a thing. You know, we have the the uh, the, the turning over the new leaf and all. The problem with that is we oftentimes will will repent. It's a it's a movement. It's a turning away from something, but we don't necessarily turn to something else. You know, and when we when we turn away from one thing, you know, we, it's like when we go on a diet. We go on a diet and we say, I'm going to give up this food, give up this food, give up this food. And then we wonder why we fail on the diet. It's because we didn't fill in anything else. You see, true repentance isn't just turning away from something. It's turning to something else. In the case of salvation, it's, just not, it's not enough to just turn away from our sins. We have to turn away from our sins and turn to something else. Let me tell you what happens when we turn away from something without adding anything to it. We create a vacuum in our lives. One of the things I remember from my science classes in high school is that that nature abhors a vacuum. Meaning that anywhere there's a vacuum that that given the very first opportunity, something is going to rush in and fill it. And we create spiritual vacuums in our lives. By by giving up sin without replacing with something, we we create a vacuum. And and basically what we're doing is we're just opening up to whatever wants to fill that, that vacuum, fill that hole. And so many people, you know, you'll see people that claim to be Christian and they've allowed something other than Jesus Christ to fill that hole in their life and they, they wonder why they lack the power. They wonder why they lack the peace. Because they turned from their sin, they repented, they turned from their sin, but they never actually turned to Jesus Christ. They just turned away from their sin. And now they've got happy thoughts or good feelings or, or something demonic or, 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 or just, a, you know, a a self-serving attitude or some idol or something that's filling up that spot that's reserved for Jesus Christ. And they wonder why it doesn't have lasting power. They wonder why they, they doubt their salvation so much. See, we're not just called to turn away. More importantly, we're called to turn to Jesus Christ. He is our only way. He is our ark in this world of sinfulness. He is the one that we, the only way that we can survive it. Our way today is to accept Jesus. Back then it was to get on the boat. Now it's to accept Jesus. I want you to see something else real quick today. Acceptance. Acceptance has a specific time. Acceptance has a specific time. 
Things don't just happen by happenstance. God has a plan. God has a timeline. There have been so many men that have said, you know, well, Jesus is coming back on this day. Or the world's going to end on this day. And we've seen it over and over. Matter of fact, I was talking to my wife a couple weeks ago, and I said, you know what we haven't had lately? We haven't had an end-of-the-world crisis. And here's the coronavirus. So now we, but it's not the same thing, but, you know, but we've got those two things. It's either a disease or an end-of-the-world crisis. Remember the, you know, the, the year 2000? It was all going to end, right? Jesus was coming back. It was all going to end. Then it was uh, uh, the Mayan calendar was ending. You know, and because we're going to take wisdom from a people that allowed themselves to be obliterated, and, and their calendar is ending, so that must be the end of the world. If they were so smart, they would have seen the Spaniards coming. Just saying. But it didn't happen. And we'll have men that will stand up and they'll proclaim that on this date, Jesus is coming back. Or on this date, the, the world is ending. Or some of them will stand up and say, Jesus already came back, and here I am. Getting out of his limo. Because, you know, that's how Jesus traveled when he was on the earth, by limo, you know, stayed in the nicest hotels, ate the best food. But God has a plan. And when Jesus was here, he was saying, you know what, the Father knows. The angels don't know. The Father knows. And he has a time, he has a date when he is coming back. And we, we, he has a date all through the word of God. We see that when we hit a certain point of the clock, God said, now. Now, to observers at the time, they were probably thinking, why, God, are we, look how wicked this world is. Why haven't you done something with it? And God was waiting and waiting and waiting. Back in Genesis 7, 11, we see the, the time. It was in the 600th year of Noah's life, in the second month, in the 17th day of the month, the same day were all the fountains of the great deep broken up and the windows of heaven were opened. You see how specific he was with his time? It wasn't just sometime during the 6th century or the 5th century. It was, just, it was, it was this is the day. That day had been, had been planned way before, before the foundation of the world had been laid. God had a plan. And Jesus Christ will come back one day. And God has that plan. And God has that day. And we can't shorten the time. We can't hasten the time because God has a day. God has a time. He gave us many clues in his word. And, and we look at his word, we look at the world around us, we say, we say, you know what, it could be any day. But I remember as a small child my pastor saying the same thing, it can be any day. He believed it and I believe it. I know, I, I'm, I am trusting and I am confident that the only reason why Jesus Christ hasn't come back yet is because of the long-suffering nature of God. There's nothing else that needs to happen. There's nothing else. But God loves his creation, and he wants us to repent. There was an accepted time then for salvation. There was an accepted time then for them to get on the boat. If they had waited a day later, they wouldn't have made it. Because if you continue to read, what you see is after they get on the boat, what happens? God shuts the door. I love that. Because you know, it's not up to us to shut the door. It's up to us just to get on. In other words, all they had to do was just get on the boat. They didn't have to shut the door. They didn't have to raise the sail. They, if you read the, the, about the ark, it's got a little tiny window. That's it. So it's not like they're looking out for icebergs or anything like that. All they did is they got in the boat and the, and the door was shut and they just waited until God said, open up the window, let a bird out. 
There's a time for your salvation today as well. Just as there was a time for them to get on the boat, there's a time for you to get on the boat. If you haven't already gotten on the boat, 2 Corinthians 6.2 tells us what the day of your salvation is. It says, for he, has say, saith, for he saith, I have heard thee in a time accepted, and in the day of salvation I have secured thee. Behold, now is the accepted time. Behold, now is the day of salvation. That verse is as relevant today as it was then. If you haven't accepted Jesus Christ as your Savior, today is the day of your salvation. Now is time to get on the boat. We're not guaranteed tomorrow. You know, what would have happened if one of his sons hadn't been ready? If he's like, oh, oh I forgot, you know, the, 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 the fountains are breaking up, the rains start coming down. I have to go take care of this first. And he left to go take care of whatever that worldly concern was. And he got back and the door was closed. You know, God closed that door. Noah didn't have the option of opening it. It's a picture of our, the security of our salvation as well. But that's a, that's a different sermon. But now is the time of your salvation. There will come a time, either through your loss of life on this earth, or through you hardening of your heart so much that you become a, repro a reprobate, that you don't have that option anymore. I know none of you have gotten to that, either one of those because none of you have fallen over in the aisle, so you're probably still breathing. Zach's eyes keep closing. I keep wondering. But they open back up, so he's okay. And if you had a reprobate heart, you wouldn't be here today because this would be the furthest thing from your mind. So you meet both of the qualifications. Actually, the third qualification is you have to be a sinner to be saved. So you meet all three of the requirements. If you're here and you haven't accepted Jesus Christ as your Savior, today is the day of your salvation. We're not guaranteed tomorrow. We're not guaranteed 10 minutes from now. We are guaranteed right now, this moment, this instant. Because at any moment, the trumpet may sound. And I've had people say, well, yeah, but don't people get saved during the tribulation? Mm-hmm. Yeah, they do. And praise God for that. Isn't it awesome that we have a gracious long-suffering God that even after he flicks the switch, he still gives us seven more years? But why? If, if you're thinking about doing that, one, here's two problems with that. One, you're not guaranteed tomorrow yourself, even if Jesus Christ doesn't come back. How many times have we gotten a phone call or opened up the newspaper and looked and said, wow, that person was really young. called into the uh, emergency department not too long ago, and I went in, and, and uh, they said, you, you know, they were, it was, they were working on somebody and trying to get their heart started back up, and, and I called one of the nurses over, and I said, you know, what, what's going on? She says, we're trying to get the heart started. She says, I really don't think it's going to happen this time. We've, we've already done it a couple times. She says, I don't think it's going to happen, and we wanted you here because there's family here, and we, the doctor wanted you here when you talk, when you talk to the family. Because what the doctor does, he gives him the bad news and he leaves the room and leaves me in there. And, and so she said, she said, the doctor wants you to be here. She goes, I don't think they're going to take him. I'm like, well, how old are they? Because my mind, you know, I'm, I'm almost childlike sometimes. In my mind, the person's got to be 100, right, if they're dying. Because nobody dies younger than that, even though I see it all the time. 
and she says that she says I'm not sure she says I'm I'm pretty sure she's in her 40s whoa that's young to die I mean it's old for some things it's 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 old to you know take up mountain biking but it's young to die We get people in there that you know they they had no indication they were they were healthy, they were strong, but it's done just that fast. It's over. We're not guaranteed tomorrow. Even if the world goes on past tomorrow, I'm not guaranteed tomorrow. Today is the day of salvation. If you're here today and you've never accepted Jesus Christ as your Savior, you need to accept Him today. This should also, those of you that have accepted Christ as your Savior, this should build a, put a sense of urgency and build a fire underneath you. Because if we were truly as concerned as we pretend that we're concerned for the loss of this world, this place would be packed, even on a time change Sunday. And it's not. Why? Well, I invite people, they don't come. When was the last time you invited somebody? Because that's a nice excuse. I invited people this week, and they're not here. But I could have invited more. Let's be real. Did you invite as many as you could? Did you tell as many as you could about Jesus Christ? God tells us if we're faithful and we plant and we water that he will give the increase. Now, that leads me to to one of two conclusions. Either God's a liar or we're not planting and watering the way we should be. I think we can figure out that answer. We need to be out planting we need to be about watering. We need to be telling people not just about church, specifically about Jesus Christ. The reason why I say church is because for a lot of people, that's the easiest way to introduce somebody to Jesus Christ because they don't feel like they have the knowledge. We, we kind of go through this in our, in our um, World Changer seminar that we had a few weeks back. And, and we talk about the easiest way to invite somebody to Christ is to invite them to church. It's not the best way. I'll be 100% honest with you. It's not the best way. But it's the easiest way. Because a lot of people feel like they can't, they can't tell somebody about Jesus Christ, even though the Holy Spirit gives you the power, and you most definitely can do that. Every single one of you that has accepted Jesus Christ can 100% do that. Just because you doubt it doesn't mean it doesn't happen or it can't happen. It only doesn't happen because you doubt it, not because Christ doubts it, not because the Holy Spirit doesn't have enough power, because you doubt it. Okay. So if you're going to doubt your ability to do that, then at least invite them to church. Give them a track and say, read this, tell me what you think. Give them one of the little invite ones back there. It says on their big, big letters, you're invited. Give it to them. It's pretty clear. You don't have to say much when you give them one of those cards. It tells them what's going on. We've got to do a better job. Because the storm's coming. The rain's coming. God's going to close the door. And people that we love are going to be here for that tribulation. 
are going to be here for those times of sorrow. People that we care about are going to be left behind. So very simply, if you haven't accepted Jesus Christ as your Savior, you've got to get on the boat. You've got to do it today. And if you have, you've got to start inviting people to get on the boat with you before that door shuts.